It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, it sure seems like a Pascal Siakam trade is possible, maybe even likely before the summer's out. But is that a horrible, horrible idea for the Raptors? We'll get into all of it on today's episode. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome to another episode of Lockdown Raptors, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, July the 11th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can follow my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. Of course, if you want to see my mug every day, YouTube is the place to go. Just search up Locked On Raptors, find the channel, hit the big red subscribe button. You can't go wrong. Also, you can't go wrong by joining the Locked On Raptors Discord server. The link is in the description of the podcast, whether you're listening on audio, watching on video, it's right there. Come hang out. We got a great little community built around the show uh lots of great conversation lots of good spiraling at this time of year and of course yesterday a whole lot of pascal siakam talk after the latest reporting from mark stein michael grange which we will dig into on today's show we're also going to take a look at atlanta and indiana as potential trade partners for the raptors when it comes to pascal siakam and i think i'm just going to lay out the case for why i actually think they should be extending siakam over trading him at this point but let's start off just by getting the lay of the land, shall we? Let's just dive on into it because there's a lot to sift through. Yesterday, Mark Stein had a report in his lovely newsletter over on Substack. And frankly, I'd been a little bit sort of cool on the idea of Siakam getting moved being possible or being something the Raptors were going to do because we hadn't really heard a lot of the scuttlebutt from the national insiders. Yeah, there was the Grange piece last week. Uh, you know, I, I think it kind of got brought up in passing on a recent Low Post podcast as well by Zach Lowe. But it didn't feel like there was any hard reporting out there suggesting that there is, in fact, a Pascal Siakam trade in the works. And... You know, there's lots of reasons why the, the Raptors should maybe not look into trading Pascal Siakam. We'll get to those throughout today's show. But I also get why they've reached this point. It sucks that they've reached this point, but I kind of understand it. Let's get into the Mark Stein report first, shall we? Uh, yesterday in his newsletter, uh, Stein reporting on just sort of the likely stars to get traded in the next little while and sort of 
talked about it through the lens of James Harden and Damian Lillard and said, there's a third guy you got to consider, and that person is Pascal Siakam. Quote, yet it is increasingly conceivable that Toronto's Pascal Siakam could be moved before one or both of Lillard or Harden, given that Siakam trade chatter has begun bubbling at an increased rate. Uh, He mentions Indiana and Atlanta as potential targets or teams that have Siakam as a target for them, uh, and then goes on to say, it has nonetheless become clear since I landed in Vegas, in brackets, uh, on a matter that I had been struggling to get a firm read on from afar, that the Raptors are indeed far more prepared to surrender Siakam than initially realized. So we're really here, huh? <laughs> it's a pretty grim scene, the, the way the last couple years now have, uh, have transpired here for the Raptors. And, and look, I don't think any one move over the last couple of years you look at and say, that's a disaster move by the Raptors. What a nightmare that they did that thing. Uh, this is the reason Pascal Siakam now is potentially on the trade block. But it is just a lot of little micro cuts just kind of coming together to form one big wound now in the Raptors. And look, it's tough, right? Like you go through the moves. The move for Thad Young at the deadline. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. Yeah, they, they might have lost that trade pending the outcome of Christian Coloco's career, which, mind you, is uh, one year old and has plenty of runway here. Thad Young brought his presence, his adultness and all that stuff. There were, there were arguments for the trade. There were detractors at the time. That's fine. You know, it's not the kind of trade that derails your franchise. It's just a small miss. But again, a lot of small misses can, can add up. Um, you know, sitting tight last summer, at the time, totally defensible, right? You bring in Otto Porter Jr., you think, hey, there's some shooting, there's some adult sort of presence to bring into the mix. This is the guy for us. You don't account for him playing eight games because his toe falls off, um, and you're, you're left with a pretty barren bench and lack of shooting, no space, lack of maturity in the room, all that stuff. And, you know, the, the sitting tight and hoping for internal development to be the thing that really fills in your gaps, you know, the, the, the development didn't happen. These things aren't linear. At the time, it felt defensible to stand pat. Obviously, in hindsight, would have been nice if they went and, like, got a center last summer, for example, as opposed to waiting to the deadline. You get to the deadline and you trade for Jakob Pertl, and, like, it's a net win. I don't care what you say. Trading a first-round pick that is not going to be a top-six pick because it's protected along with a couple seconds and offloading the not-very-good contract of Ken Birch, which is another sort of micro-mistake we can point to as well. Um, but having all that happen and trading for Yaka Pertl and then re-signing him for four years, that's a win. You get Yaka Pertl on your team for four years, that is going to outstrip the value likely of whatever that pick that you're going to have or would have had will be. Uh, I, I think it's a perfectly fine move in a vacuum. But then you throw in the Fred Van Vliet free agency, Gary Trent Jr. being a free agent until he opted in, which may have made it harder for them to actually retain Fred when the, the Rockets went crazy and offered that massive deal. Maybe they wouldn't have matched that deal anyway, but certainly couldn't with Gary on the books. But you go into the offseason with Fred as a pending UFA, and you just make it so difficult for yourself, right? It's like... You know, I don't think the process of not trading Fred at the deadline was bad because the offers out there were bad. And the upside of keeping Fred Van Vliet as opposed to getting Grayson Allen and some, you know, heavily protected future pick from the Bucks or Luke Kennard and Brandon Boston Jr. from the Clippers, the upside of keeping Fred was higher than any of those returns are going to bring you. And so I thought it was a worthwhile gamble, again, on its own, 
But when you start piling all these little gambles onto one another, the degree of difficulty just gets too hard, and then you're prone to the Houston Rockets coming in and dropping a godfather offer on Fred and kind of throwing your roster into a, a state of misshapen mess. <laughs> and it, it's just all of this now has led to the point, this potential end point of all of those perfectly defensible decisions at the time now potentially leading you to having to trade one of the best players in your franchise's history, a two-time All-NBA guy who wants to be on your team, by all accounts, wants to be in Toronto, and now there's a very sensible argument to be made, whether I agree with it or not, we'll get into, but there's a sensible argument to be made that now is the time to rip off the Band-Aid and just trade Pascal Siakam. And if all those little micro-decisions along the way lead you to the conclusion of, hmm, we got to trade our best player. There's nothing no other choice. Then you probably made a mistake somewhere along the line and you've screwed up. And it's just, it's a really disappointing spot. Pretty embarrassing, honestly, for the franchise to find themselves staring down the barrel of a Pascal trade. And, and like, there are ways in which this Scotty Pascal thing could work, too. It has worked. It literally has worked. They won 48 games and steamrolled through the rest of the league in the back part of 21-22 with Scotty and Pascal as their two best players driving the bus for that team. It can work. The problem is now, the roster makes so little sense around them. You have a non-shooting big next to two non-shooting forwards. I love Jakob Pertle, but the fit there is hard. It would be easier to make work if you had lots of shooting in your backcourt, but Fred Van Vliet's gone, and you replaced him with Dennis Schroeder, who does not shoot. It's just... Now you're at the point where the roster is so imbalanced, so lacking of you know very necessary skills, that unless you can find a way to go find some guard to add to the mix to tie this whole thing together and give it a real shot of succeeding, you're at the point where it might just be the right time to move on from Pascal to get what you can now before you risk him leaving in the offseason. Of course, there's the other thing you can do, which is just extend Pascal, which we'll get into later in the show, and why I think that's actually what they should just be doing here and don't overcomplicate matters. We'll get into that coming up. Before we do that, however, I want to talk about Atlanta and Indiana as potential trade matches with the Raptors. We'll get into uh, the potential machinations, all the different cap minutiae that go into these deals, and what could be on return for the Raptors if they were to ship Pascal off to either the Pacers or the Hawks. We'll get to that momentarily here. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Ibotta. Look, you're going to be going to the grocery store to buy your stuff for your weekend barbecues all summer long anyway, so why not get a little cash back when you go do that with Ibotta? Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year and can cover the the cost of an entire grocery trip or you can buy yourself a little something for yourself on the side with that extra $120. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account PayPal, or even gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers as well when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. When you register, just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store. Use the code LOCKED. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. 
After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, let's uh, dive in now to the potential, potential? Maybe that's a good phrase for it because they're not exactly great. They all stink like pee. Uh, the potential returns here for Pascal. That's not entirely fair. There are some good potential deals out there that could help the Raptors quite a bit. But the thing here for me is if you're trading Pascal, it has to be for a deal that better sets up a roster around Scotty Barnes and brings in players who can actually play with Scotty Barnes like right now. You can't be waiting around on draft picks to convey one, two, three, four years down the line when you have Scotty Barnes going into year three. And if the whole idea is to pivot young, you should be doing it with the express intent of helping Scotty Barnes succeed and putting a real team around him now and so you have to get players who can play now I think if you're going to be making a deal like this whether it's a combination of veterans and young guys who can play right now or just young guys whatever it might be you can't just go in and be like all right we'll just give us some picks like that that's that's going to set you back that's going to set your timeline way too far back as you wait for picks to convey down the line and then wait for those players who get picked to become good players which takes multiple years in most cases and so you got to get a bit of head start of the on the development side of things and get someone who's actually like pretty credible right now in exchange for Pascal. Otherwise, I don't think it makes any sense to trade Pascal. Um, so what do these teams really have on offer? Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. Of course, DeJounte Murray's out now. He just signed an extension. You would assume he wants to be in Atlanta. Atlanta wants him to be in Atlanta. That's not going to happen anymore. That was the very easy trade to put together. Not so much anymore. Our pal Daniel Hackett over at Raptors HQ had a couple of great threads yesterday. Go follow him on Twitter. He's the best. Um, kind of detailing the financials and the particulars of what these deals could look like. With Atlanta, uh, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich would love to have him on the Raptors. What a, a just like a beautiful addition of ball handling and shooting he would be. But of course, he just signed an extension as well. And he's not even tradable until September after that extension per our guy Hackett. Um and so Hackett kind of outlined, it's going to be DeAndre Hunter probably as the big salary piece coming back. Fine. Whatever. You know, he's hurt a lot. He's not perfect. He doesn't really know how to pass. But there's some 3 and D upside there. He's only 25. And on his deal, he's going to make like 20 million bucks. He's he signed up for the next few years. That's actually probably going to age decently well with the cap going up as tremendously as it's going to in the coming years. Um, the cap going up, by the way, a reason why I think you should just extend Pascal Siakam. But we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on. Um, in, in terms of the... The, the, the return on top of DeAndre Hunter. This is where it gets interesting. So basically the Hawks have to 
uh, send out at least $30.11 million of outgoing salary to make this work to stay underneath the tax line. And in order for them to really avoid having to sort of drop other money and, and do some maneuvering, you know, if there's a will, there's a way and all that. But three players is kind of what they can send out and still hope to stay under the tax with relative ease. And so you're trying to find combinations of three players on top of Hunter, so two players on top of Hunter, that make about $10 million bucks in salary. And it's hard to do that. Onyeka Okongwu makes $8 million. If he's in there, it's a lot easier. But Okongwu feels like Atlanta's long-term solution behind Clint Capella. And with Yaka Pertle signed up for four years, $80 million, you're not really going to be able to offer Onyeka Okongwu real starting minutes, which he's probably already deserving of. He's awesome. That doesn't feel like a great fit, nor does it feel like something the Hawks would want to go for. Um, so that's a challenge. You then come into the Kobe Bufkin, AJ Griffin, and Jalen Johnson trio of, of prospects. And look, if you can get two of those three guys in a Pascal deal, I think you're in a pretty good spot. And frankly, I think AJ Griffin is kind of the guy. If you can get AJ Griffin and the three point shooting he brings, the way he'd pair with Scotty Barnes, I think that's awesome. I also, you know, you don't, anyone who's a listener of this show every day will know, I'm a Kobe Bufkin sicko. I'm a little Bufkin boy. Uh, I would be perfectly happy if the Raptors could find a way to get Kobe Bufkin on the team too on account of he can dribble which no one else on the team really can right now um and so those are like that's like the dream package does Atlanta go for that Atlanta is going to be a really expensive team they will in theory want to re-sign Pascal Siakam the reports are out there that Siakam is not going to re-sign if he gets traded to a team that complicates all this here and lowers the potential return you're going to get and so I, I, you know, in a dream world, you get Griffin and Bufkin and, you know, whatever, DeAndre Hunter, and then probably some other small salary in there to match. And you go, you know what, this stinks. We move on from Pascal, but we get a couple of players in Bufkin and Griffin who absolutely are no-brainer fits with Scotty Barnes. And Griffin's already a year into his career, had some success, shot like 38% from deep, and he's only 19 years old. There's a lot to grow on here with Bufkin and Griffin paired next to Scotty Barnes long-term. I think you probably make your peace with that. The problem is I don't really see Atlanta going for the full bore. Here are both of our top prospects in exchange for Pascal Siakam thing. A, their roster would be quite unbalanced. It would lose a lot of shooting not having Griffin. Griffin, in theory, feels like a perfect guy to slot between a Pascal, Murray, Trey Young trio as sort of your big three. Um, but, you know, you're going to ask for them, but maybe that's too uh, too much a bridge for the, the Hawks to want to cross. Uh, then you get to Atlanta, Indiana, sorry. And Indiana... Let it be known. I think like a Tyrese Halliburton, Pascal Siakam, Miles Turner trio to watch would be absolutely awesome. If Pascal's going to get traded somewhere, I'd rather him traded to a team I actually like want to watch. I don't particularly like watching the Hawks because I don't like watching Trey Young. Maybe Pascal being on that team would change things. But, um, you know, personally speaking, just like, uh, you know, as a fan, I would love to see Pascal go to a place where he can catch cool passes from Tyrese Halliburton and be in the sort of dream front court that I've imagined for the Raptors for the last three years of Siakam and Turner, just not on the Raptors. It would kind of make me want to cry a little bit, but um, you know, I think it'd be fun. That that Pacers team would probably be like a top six team in the Eastern Conference. Frankly, it would be an absolute blast to watch. How much are the Pacers deterred by the potential reports of Siakam not wanting to re-sign somewhere? It's Indiana. It's not exactly a hotbed for guys wanting to go there and stay long term. That's got to be a consideration whenever you're the Indiana Pacers and you're trading for a guy with not a ton of term left on his contract. Um, as our guy Daniel Hackett points out, you know, the indie package would likely be more pick forward because they have all their picks in, in tow and I think a couple extras as well. 
Buddy Heald will be the big salary returning. That'd be nice to get that shooting around Scotty Barnes. I think he only has one year left on his deal. Not a ton of term if, if it's more than that. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, he's fine. He's not a great defender, but he would certainly add to the shooting mix with the team, and that would be helpful. But then, and then, like, probably, like, a smaller salary, like a TJ McConnell. And then you're looking at the prospects. And maybe this is just me. But I'm not exactly like thrilled about the Pacers prospects, right? Like I think Jarris Walker seems awesome. He would be kind of the you circle like, oh, if you can get Jarris Walker, maybe that's you know something you go with. But a, I think the fit with Scotty Barnes is a little suspect, considering they both kind of play the same position or are the same size and have similar skills of playmaking and offensive limitations, etc. Um, you know, again, Jarris Walker is 19 years old or whatever. I feel like you know we're not going to paint him into a box or anything like that. But you're trying to you know go off what we know now, and I do think the fit's a little suspect there with Scotty. Um, there's Andrew Nemhard and Ben Matherin, and, and both had great rookie seasons. You know. Nemhard, I think he's going to be good, but is he going to be like a starting level point guard in the NBA, considering he still is not like the greatest athlete in the world? Um, I think he's probably going to sort of max out as like a really excellent third guard who starts for you sometimes, kind of like the Tyus Jones tier of guard. And that's like a wonderful career to carve out for a guy. But are you trading Pascal Siakam for Tyus Jones? I don't think so. Uh, with Ben Matherin, you know, it's really exciting. He'd be an absolute blast to watch. He dunks hard. He, he you know, kind of has no conscience. There's like a fun element to that, no doubt. But I'm a little concerned by his total desire to never pass the ball ever. I don't think he's really got a whole lot of playmaking juice to his game. And is that type of guy that you trade Pascal Siakam for? I, I don't know. It, it, it's tough. Maybe some other team gets in the race. Maybe there's a bidding war. Maybe, you know, the Raptors look around and, and there's like, a, you know, a whole bunch of teams kind of all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork and it's like, all right, let's go. Pascal time. Let's do it. But I am having a hard time seeing like an excellent trade coming together here. And it's because Pascal only has the one year left. And I completely understand why the Hawks or the Pacers wouldn't want to pay full freight for a guy they might lose in a year as teams that probably aren't in championship contention, you know, cycles themselves anyway. And so it's hard. And ultimately to me, because of the sort of artificial depression of Siakam's trade value by this one year remaining on his deal, there's a solution here that is just the easiest one and I think makes the most sense We'll get to that coming up in just a second. Before we do that, however, just a reminder, go check out Locked on Leafs, where we get your podcast as the buds are continuing to be on trade watch. Will they trade William Nylander? God, I hope they don't. He's very cool, very good. But if they do, Mike and Dave over at Locked on Leafs will be breaking it all down for you. Go check them out wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, let's uh, round this out with uh, kind of the solution to this whole problem. And it does not seem like there's been a whole lot of traction on this. Michael Grange reporting yesterday that there hasn't really been any conversation yet between the Raptors and Pascal Siakam about an extension. But maybe at some point here, the Raptors look around, realize what offers are on the table from the Pacers and the Hawks and say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We have a two-time All-NBA player who is just 29 years old 
who we have the potential to lock in on our team for another five or even six years, uh, or I guess four or five years beyond uh, this next season of his his contract before it's out. We have a chance to extend this guy, keep him in tow for a long time, keep him a Raptor through the rest of his prime into his mid-30s, you know, 33, 34, which, like... I don't see Pascal Siakam aging horribly. He's not had a history of chronic injury. He's not really based on like pure athleticism. He's a crafty, crafty touch and feel based player. That dude's going to age just fine, I'm assuming. And, you know, I think we'll age just fine nice, nicely into like a second role alongside Scotty Barnes, given a better roster to work with in terms of just like complementary skills, which is a problem they'll have to sort out, of course. Um, there's a way that you could do that, which I might posit as well. But, you know, as far as the, the extension thing, it just might be the best play, whether it is to keep Pascal and give this P- Pascal Scotty duo actual runway to work together and, and, and iron out their fit issues. Like that is a perfectly defensible thing. Or it's to trade him down the line when he has more term on his deal and is in theory a little bit more attractive and there's a bit more of a sort of broad field of suitors. Maybe his actual trade value when he's 31 is a little bit lower as a player than he is right now, although I'm suspect of that. I think he's going to age fine. Once again, he keeps on adding to his game every single year. I I don't see that stopping necessarily. Um, And then so... You know, maybe it's just that you trade him when he's 31 and then he's got two or three years left on his deal. Some team can say, hey, you know, we can lock this guy in and we know he's going to be part of our core going forward. He figures to me like a perfect candidate for a contender out there with a superstar to go trade for down the line when their superstar needs that finishing piece to put that roster over the top. Right. Like it, it just to me. The higher outcome of like higher value outcome, and I hate talking about players like this, but like you're going to get the most value for Pascal, it seems, if he's got more term on his deal. And I think you also have to bake in the rising cap here and why it's going to be a lot more palatable to give Pascal his next max if that's what's going to what it's going to cost. Maybe they can negotiate and come in a little under a max. We saw Dejounte Murray go for thirty million a year over one twenty, like. Or 30, 120 over four years, but um, like maybe there's a way to negotiate down a little bit sub max as you know the the league sort of landscape shifts and the the salaries keep on sort of skyrocketing. Maybe there's a sweet little middle ground there you can find. Either way, you give Pascal Siakam his 30 percent max this off season. You know, again, maybe he like maybe there's a decline. Maybe that contract ages poorly. I just don't really see it. Like, I think he's going to age just fine through this next deal. And when you look at it as 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 like a percentage of the cap in three years, when the cap is 180 million dollars, Pascal Siakam's 50 million ish salary or whatever it's at is going to not be that significant a portion of the percentage of the cap you have to talk about these things through percentages and not just dollar values anymore as the dollar values cease to kind of have any meaning as the league cap structure continues to increase year over year and so when the cap's 180 and pascal's making 50 55 million whatever it comes out to like that is not a damaging contract to have on your books 50 million dollars is 27 percent of 180 million dollars uh, and all these figures are projected. It's all hypothetical, of course, but you know it does not seem like the 10% bumps year over year are going anywhere. If you read or listen to any cap prognostication, it's going to raise 10% year over year for the next little while. 
it's going to become a deal that ages well. I think any deals signed this summer, even next summer, are going to end up aging very well in this cap structure going forward. And so I have no problem committing to Pascal Siakam. And I think what you have to ask here, if you're the Raptors, is to pull something from uh, you know Locked On Raptors segments that people love and can't get enough of. What's more likely? Pascal Siakam, who has already made two All-NBA teams, who has had stretches where he's looked like a top 10 player in basketball, the way he started last year was unbelievable. We've seen the peaks of Siakam's game. What's more likely? This dude who's already established as one of the, what, 20 best players in basketball at worst, adds like a 38% three-point stroke to his game, which is really the only thing keeping him from being like a next-tier level superstar, like from being sort of one of those guys who perennially competes for fifth-place MVP consideration, who's always in the conversation, as it were. Like, I don't think Siakam is that far off, and if he adds any sort of three-point element to his game, whether it's catch and shooting and offers more space playing around Scotty Barnes and allows the Scotty Barnes of it all to kind of emerge and flourish in a, in a more sort of dramatic way. Or maybe Pascal just takes the reins and is the best player on the team because he's added 38% shooting to his mix and has kind of gotten back into his pull-up bag that he flashed in 2019-20. If all that happens, like that it, it solves all your problems. And what's more likely? Siakam adding that one skill to his game to kind of unlock everything, or Scotty Barnes, who is very good and has a ton of potential, actually making good on that full potential. And like and, and like this team becomes a contender with Scotty Barnes as his best player. That's possible. It's on the table. But I also think we often get seduced by potential, and far often, far more often than not, guys don't reach that full 100% outcome of what their their game can be, and they fall somewhere in the middle, and they're very good players, but they're not the ones who kind of change the championship picture or anything like that, because odds are that any player is not going to become one of the five to seven players in a given year who actually tangibly changes the championship picture. It's just the odds, and I think the odds of Pascal Siakam from his starting point, which is like right up here is this refined guy who can be an offensive engine, guy who can be a playmaker, an average six assists a game, the 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 jump from where he is to that next tier of like top 10ish player is a significantly easier jump to make for Scotty Barnes who's down here and is a 21 year old and has a lot of good stuff to his game but a lot of flaws to work out as well it's just go with the history of the NBA it doesn't happen all that often that guys just become franchise altering type players it's hard to do it's not to say Scotty can't do it but you have to ask yourself what's more likely here Siakam becoming that guy on top of what he already is or Scotty Barnes getting all the way to the end of the potential road which is a really hard thing to do like to me the duo can work you have to have a better fitting roster around them and they don't have that right now but to me if you extend Siakam you give yourself at least a year or two here to figure out on the fly okay how do we best assemble this roster around a Scotty and Pascal duo which again has worked in the past and if you can find a way to better assemble a roster around them, then I think it's worth the the, the sort of locking in of Siakam and, and having him on your team for a long time. Again, he, by all accounts, wants to be here. That should not count for nothing. Like, this is the Toronto Raptors we're talking about. This is not a thing that stars have often said about Toronto. Damar said it a lot. Kyle stayed a few times. That was awesome. Pascal Siakam has a chance to do the same thing, and it might be that the Raptors are staring down the barrel of trading him 
which I think would be kind of the full, like, you know, the, the, the last nail in the this last couple of years has been a total failure for the Raptors front office. It would be bad. Like, I, I just think if you're trading Pascal for 75 cents in the dollar right now, that's just such a bad way for this whole thing to end. And maybe, again, there's value of just pivoting to Young and, and having Scotty be your guy. But there's a lot of pain involved in that. And the pain might not dissipate as you go forward either. Like, there's no guarantees here. And Scotty, Pascal Siakam is a guarantee. We know that he is excellent. We know that he's a borderline All-NBA player any given year. And I just, I think it makes more sense right now, given what's out there, to just extend him and just do the thing. And if they don't, then it just feels like a massive mismanagement of the best player on their team. All of your moves leading to you trading your best player is a bad thing. It just, it, it just it can't. It's just like, yeah, we got this guy, this guy. Oh, then damn it, huh? We forgot about our best player, huh? We got, I guess we got to trade him now. Like, that's just bad, like, embarrassing sort of nerf ball management. And I'm hopeful that it doesn't happen like this. But if the end result of this summer is Pascal Siakam is no longer on the team and he's been traded for a, a package that's merely fine, I, I just think that has to go down as the biggest failure that this front office has overseen over its time uh, in, in charge. And it's just... um yeah, man. I don't know. It's got me bummed out. Like, it sucks that it's reached this point. It really has. Think about all the hope of a year ago and, and where things were. And for all of it now to kind of be very much up in the air, I simply just hope this Siakam thing isn't hanging over our heads for the next month or two. Like, I, I would like to see it resolved sometime soon here, if possible. Um, I don't think you want that as a franchise hanging over you when you're trying to, like, revamp the vibes of the squad. If you have your best player in limbo for the next two months that doesn't feel ideal i hope there's a resolution here and frankly i hope the resolution is they offer pascal siakam the full extension that he's able to get he signs it and then they figure it out down the line knowing that they have pascal siakam on their roster trading pascal siakam i wouldn't do it lightly if i'm the toronto raptors we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Um, and uh, yeah, again, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously keep up on this. I was going to do guard targets today, but the Mark Stein reporting kind of uh, you know intervened. So we'll talk guard targets tomorrow on the show um, and sort of look around at... Uh, man, I'm, I'm going to do some real Emmanuel Quickly propaganda on the show tomorrow. I'm very excited for that. Thank you so much, of course, for supporting the show, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. Join the Discord. Link is in the description. We'd love to see you in there. And uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.